Amen. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, my brothers and sisters. Good to have you guys here. Well, if you will, please turn to Nehemiah chapter 6 this evening. Uh, We will be jumping in in a few minutes in Nehemiah 6, but um, it just seems that um, for the last, gosh, several weeks, not just Thursday nights, but I would say Sunday mornings as well, um, we've been talking a lot about battles. We've been kind of dealing with a lot of uh, just the enemy uh, coming in, infiltrating. And, and as I was kind of looking over where we're at and, and kind of what we've been covering, I, I, I was looking at the, the fact that ever since um, the order went out to rebuild Jerusalem, especially on Thursday nights that we've been covering, with that, the wall included, the building the wall of Jerusalem. Uh, the preparation that, that was starting to be made by Nehemiah and the king of Persia and those who would be going with them, um, as it was getting underway, um, all the preparation to go and, and start the rebuilding, um, it, it, just the attacks that started coming now, we don't see or read it in our text that even though there was a preparation, what we did see with, with Nehemiah and those guys, there was also a preparation that was starting and underway as well by the opposition, that is the enemy. Not so much Sambalat, Tobiah, and, and, and uh, these guys that were coming against them, but it seems like the enemy of God... <laughs> Satan himself and his staff, if you will, all of a sudden they start preparing for an opposition because they heard the, the proclamation go out to go and rebuild the temple. Now I'm sure that the enemy, again, he, because he's not omniscient and he's not all-knowing, he's not all those things, um, he, he, he thought that he probably had defeated Israel when they went into captivity. Good, man, dunzo. Don't have to deal with them anymore. But they continued to be a people. And when the, when the proclamation went out to rebuild, it just seemed like all of a sudden you woke up this sleeping giant and all of a sudden there was the opposition that was going to start coming against them. Now, we didn't see the opposition in the preparation up north when they were leaving Babylon, there may have been. We just don't see a lot of it. But it just seems that once Nehemiah and his staff got down to Jerusalem, they woke up that sleeping giant. All of a sudden, man, there was, there was problems. There was issues. And again, I, 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 I often have to correlate it with us in our lives that, again, when we were not doing much for the Lord and all of a sudden something's happening in our lives, that all of a sudden we've woken up this enemy against our souls. And all of a sudden, all hell is breaking loose in our lives. And we're going, man, it wasn't this hard beforehand. But now that I want to do what God wants me to do, I just seem to have opposition from all sides. And it never really stops. It continues. 
And I've shared this with you before in our study with Ezra and Nehemiah, that when great opportunities are before us, then great oppositions are right behind us, right there. I think if anything, <laughs> with Nehemiah, once they got going, the, the opposition intensified. And it does in our lives. We might have those times of breaks, but I've shared this before. We are either in a trial, coming out of a trial, or getting ready to go into a trial. And there always, it just seems like this opposition that's going on. And we could freak out about it, or we can understand as we've been talking about it on Sundays and on Thursday nights. It's like, this is to be expected. This is our lives. This is a warfare that we are in. Um, one of the scriptures that popped to mind as I was putting the study together was 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9, where it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. In verse 9, resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. In other words, guys, it never stops. There's this roaring lion always seeking to devour, seeking to, to bring down. And the encouragement in that verse is that be, we need to be sober. We need to be clear-minded and we need to be vigilant. We need to be watchful always because it never stops. And I've shared this, this scripture with you several times now on Thursday nights. Second Corinthians 2.11, it says, lest we should be, or that lest... Satan take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Guys, we need to be alert. We need to be ready. We need to be always vigilant because, again, those devices are constantly coming. We need to be, understand this, and the more we understand that we are on the battleground and not on a playground, <laughs> then we, have, we are better equipped to continue in the work. Because I think if you get so bummed out that the enemy is coming against you, and he, he will use anybody and everybody in your life, and he doesn't play fair. It's not just opposition from outside. It's opposition from the inside as we've been looking and he just doesn't play fair. And if you're not alert, if you're not ready for a warfare, to be on the battleground, that you think that being a Christian is being on the playground all your life, then you're going to be defeated constantly. And you will not continue the work of the Lord. And he's okay with that. He'll let you be saved as long as you're ineffective. And so Nehemiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, says, Now it happened when Sambalat... Tobiah, Gushem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no breaks left in it, though at the time I had not hung the doors in the gates, that Sambalat and Gesham sent to me, saying, Come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me harm. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work, so I cannot come down. 
Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? But they sent me this message four times, and I answered them in the same manner. Then Sambalat sent his servants to me as before the fifth time with an open letter in his hand. In it was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says that you and the Jews plan to rebel. Therefore, according to these rumors, you are rebuilding the wall that you may be their king. And you have no and you have also appointed prophets to proclaim concerning you at Jerusalem, saying, There is a king in Judah. Now these matters will be reported to the king. So come, therefore, and let us consult together. Then I sent to him, saying, No such thing as you say are being done, and you invent them in your own heart. For they all were trying to make us afraid, saying, Their hands will be weakened in the work, and it will not be done. Now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. Let's stop right there for a bit. So when, when, when we go back to verses 1 and 2, where it says, Now it happened when Sambalat, Tobiah, Gusham, and these guys, and the rest of these these enemies, when they heard that, that he says that I had finished rebuilding the wall or that I had rebuilt the wall. Now understand, he is not the only one that's doing the work. We know that. We've seen that as there was so many people coming together as one, working as a body, working as a people to get the work done. It's not like he was taking credit for all of that. He is just saying, I, as in us, that we had rebuilt and he had not finished the doors quite yet. But again, he's, he, he's owning it. It's all his. He's in the work. And it's interesting, um, in the last chapter, we didn't hear much about these guys. But again, we covered some infighting that was going on within the Jewish community there. As they had come, that they were kind of going at each other. And they were doing things that, scripturally speaking, were not allowed by the Lord. But they were doing this to one another. And even though the enemy is happy and he gets thrilled when within the body of Christ and even the Jewish community, but within the body of Christ when there's infighting, he loves it, man. He just goes and takes a break because he knows that, man, you guys, are, you guys are doing a great job. And so again, man, what, what an encouragement for us. It's like, let's not do that to one another because the enemy loves it. He really, really does when, when all of a sudden we're coming against one another, and we know that the scripture says, No, it's good when the brethren come together in unity, that we should always be striving and endeavoring to keep the unity of, of, of peace and the bonds of peace, or something like that in Ephesians 1 4. Um, but, but that we should always be striving with one another, not against one another, to move the kingdom forward, not to collapse it within us. And so, even though that's what we were seeing last week. He continues. He, he, even though he allows the people 
to, to fight amongst themselves. He is still working in the hearts of the enemies that have been coming against them. Even though we didn't see them for a chapter, it's not like they gave up. They were just re-strategizing, if you will, of how they were going to come against and stop the work that God had called Nehemiah to come and do. These guys could not believe that the work had continued. These guys had tried to throw everything at Nehemiah and the people, threatening them, doing whatever they could to discourage the work, and they could not believe that they continued and so you can imagine the frustration and the anger, as we saw a couple chapters ago, that they were furious that they had not stopped. Again, this guy is coming on the scene. They're thinking he's some kind of a high official, and all he is is a cupbearer. So you can imagine when they find out that that's all he is, going, who do you think you are, you punk? You know? You're nothing. Who gave you the authority? Oh, the king? Yeah, right. He would never give you the, the authority. And yet, he did, and he came, comes on the scene, and all of a sudden, the work is being done. And when they heard that it was all done, they were frustrated. They were mad. All that was needed was to hang the gates. That's it. And they, they could be secure. And then he says, and so they, they said to him, come, let us meet together. Let us meet together and, and, and uh, maybe kind of call a truce or something. Kinda, that's kind of what it, what it kind of sounds like. It, it, it's almost as if it's an invitation going, hey, just, let's, just, let's just forget what was said back in chapter 4. In chapter 3, let's just kind of forget about that. Let's just start over here. Why, why don't you come together and, 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 and we can congratulate you for a job well done. It almost seems like, hey, come on. You know, because when, when I read that where it says, come, let us meet together, I was reminded of that one scripture where it talks about come and let us reason together. It's almost like a, a, an invitation Let's get this whole thing behind us, if you will. And so what I see there is they're inviting him to come out. The subtlety of trying to just kind of get their way back in to his good graces, Nehemiah's good graces. Come, let's, let's start over again. You've heard that old saying, well, if you can't beat them, join them. And it's almost like, hey, guys, man, you're doing the work. It's almost done. We, we can't beat you. Let's just join you. Part of it for, so they want to get in. If you can't beat them, join them and then take over from the inside is basically what they want to do because they, they are still frustrated. They are still mad that this work got done. And I, again, I have to go back that, that it, it had to be, there had to be some financial gain in all of this, the, the, the ruling or the power that they had over the whole people that now they're coming in because we see a little later that they're going to tattletale on them. And so the enemy will do whatever he can to get a foothold, even if he has to kind of embrace them and say, hey, let's just kind of come together. 
And he invites them to come among the villages in the plain of Ono. Oh, man. Ono would be a place kind of closer to the Mediterranean Sea. It it was about 25 miles uh, northwest of Jerusalem, about six miles southeast of Joppa, which is on the border. And, and, and this place, Ono, was near the border of Samaria where Sambalat is kind of from, his hometown, his home turf. And it, it, it is called Ono. Never, ever, ever show up on the enemy's home turf to a place called Ono. Oh, no, you don't. Oh, no. It's interesting because he invites them to come and and he says, you know, but they thought to do me harm. Somehow the Lord had revealed to Nehemiah that this was a trap. (laughs) This was not a congratulatory meeting that they wanted to have with Nehemiah. Oh, no, it was not that. And he wasn't falling for it. Oh, no, he was not. And so it says that he sent messengers to him or to them saying, or he sent messengers back to them saying, I I am doing a great work. I can't. I cannot go down. Why why is the work going to cease by me leaving? You see, this would be at least a two, three day journey going from Jerusalem always over to to the plain of Ono, the travel, the being there, the meeting, and then having to travel back. And so he's going, no, I'm I'm not going to do it. That's not where I'm going to go. And so wisdom tells him to say, oh, yes, I know what you want to do to me in Ono. So, oh, no, way, Jose. And instead... He says, oh no, I can't because the work is too great. Which wasn't a lie. He was doing a great work. He wasn't doing all of it. And I don't think that he's thinking of himself too highly here, thinking he's that important that he can't leave somebody responsible enough to be there for the the work. He he just knows this seems like like a very big distraction that they're trying to get me away from the work that is being done. And it's interesting because, again, it's almost this subtle form of distraction saying, no, you come and meet us in this place. And distractions, they, they come in all forms and sizes, don't they? In our lives. And some of them don't look that bad. Again, this seems like, a, like an, an, an innocent enough meeting with these guys that maybe want to bury the hatchet on his head. But the fact of the matter is that, that the, some of these distractions look very inviting as well. And some of these distractions are very, very subtle in our lives. And they're persistent <laughs> to draw us away. Again, this, this trip would have been at least a two, three-day journey. Nehemiah 
kind of understood the wrong motives behind this whole thing that they wanted to do him harm. So why would he come? So the proper response was that he could not leave the work. But they insisted on distracting him from his work that was at hand. And so his answer was, oh no to oh no. The first and second time. Then there was, oh no to oh no, the third and fourth time. Again, if it was like that the first time, the second time, well, you better bet that it's going to be, oh no, again, the third and fourth time. But maybe, just maybe, they understood something and maybe, maybe Sambalat and, 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 and uh, Geshem and them, maybe they were those kinds of kids that they just persisted and bugged their parents and their, until their parents said yes. You know the feeling, right? When your kids, when you say no, and then they come back and they bug you again. It's like, no. And after about the fourth time, okay, do it. He's probably that kind of kid. Going, no, we'll just keep on bugging them, sending out this invitation until they're ready to, to come and change their mind. Because people have the tendency of changing their mind when they're being pressured somewhat to do something that they know that they should not do. And it reminded me of the story back in, in 1 Kings chapter 13 when there was this man of God who came into Bethel and, and the Lord had told them, you're not to stay in Bethel. You're to go there and prophesy against the altar that is there and you're not going to stay. You're going to go in one way and leave the other way. And there was another guy, a priest, who, who said, hey, where'd this guy go? And they said, well, he left that way. And he goes and he says, hey, by the way, man, God or an angel told me that you can come back. And he ends up going back after knowing that the Lord had told them, don't. And guys, when the Lord says don't, <laughs> or when he says, oh no to oh no, <laughs> then it's usually no. All the time. Even if the distraction persists. And, and, and they're constantly trying to drag you back. Or drag you to a place where you're going. Man I know the Lord doesn't want me to go there. He does not want me there. And because of the pressure it's like. Oh geez okay I'll go. And you end up finding out why you shouldn't have gone. When you get there and you're going. I knew this. I knew this was going to happen. Whatever the case was. The case with this man of God who, who went back, all of a sudden the Lord says, didn't I tell you not to come back? And it ended up, ended up costing him his life because of it. But Nehemiah knew, right from the get-go, from the first message, oh no, to oh no. <laughs> well, I'm not going to oh no, man. I'm going to say oh yes to God, but oh no to oh no. That's where I need to be. I need to be saying yes to God and no to the things that will distract and pull us away and pull us from the work that God has for us. Even when the enemy is subtle. Even when, when, when you know for sure that man, oh man, it would be a great opportunity to go witness and it's like God can't be against that, can he? But he's already told you, I don't need you there. 
It will distract from the work that I've called you to do over here. And that's tough. Because oftentimes we're going, but Lord, I want to be used wherever. It's like, okay, yes, but I've called you to this. Be faithful with this. Don't get involved in all those other things, other things because they will distract. The enemy, again, when, when we say, oh no, to the enemy, and oh yes, to God, then, then he will come at you even more aggressive when you're not obeying what you used to obey back in the day when you gave in to anything and everything. When we stand our ground against the enemy's devices, then he looks for other options to come after us. And that's why we need to be aware of his devices, that he will try anything and everything. You just need to know what God has called you to do. Because when you're at that point, then you have the upper hand. If you're just like flying by the seat of your pants, spiritually speaking, and you have no clue what God has called you to, then you're going to fall for everything and you're going to be distracted with every little thing that comes your way. But when you're standing your ground knowing this is what God has called me to do for this time in my life, and unless He tells me otherwise, I'm sticking right here. Then you understand that when the devices come and he comes from another side and he comes from the back, whatever option he he uses, then you know, again, he is just trying to distract. And that's what they were trying to do with Nehemiah here. And he didn't fall for it. And so in verse 5, he says, Then Sambalat sent his servant to me as before the fifth time. So if it was, oh no, the first, second, third, fourth time, what do you think the fifth time should be the answer? Oh no, to oh no. Oh no, of course not. It's the fifth time. But this time he's, he's coming in a little bit more bolder, if you will. He's coming in and, and this messenger is coming not just to, to tell him, hey, you need to come over here, but he's coming with an open letter, which is important to understand. If the other invitations were, were sealed up, only the person that it was sent to could unseal it in that sense. But this is an open letter and it will be known by other people what, it is, being, what is being said. And this time, now he begins to threaten him. How, whatever the other letters might have said, this time, the same messenger comes a fifth time, but he comes with an open letter that says, it has been reported among the nations, and Geshem, it, Geshem was not only a guy, but apparently a place that says that you and the Jews plan to rebel. Therefore, according to these rumors... <laughs> You are rebuilding the wall that you may be their king. <laughs> and that you have appointed prophets that, that, that proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There, there, there is a king in, Jerus in Judah. Now, no, or now, these matters will be reported to the king. And so again, the threat is, you better come. And meet with us because this letter is going to get out because it's an open letter. So come. 
Meet with us. Consult with us. Let us reason together, if you will. So when he could not distract him to come to Ono, to, to, to kind of try to take care of it quietly, and because Nehemiah is not coming quietly, he's going to be public a little bit more with this open letter. And it's interesting because now he is going to try to destroy him publicly. Not just harm him, but destroy him. Now this would not only start a buzz all around Jerusalem, but if the king of Persia caught wind of this, and they're they're threatening that the king might know about this, then it would be the end of Nehemiah and the whole work of God. So you can imagine what he's thinking. is like they're a bunch of lies, but they're threatening to tell the king, should I go or shouldn't I go? But the Lord had already revealed to him, you're not to go, they're going to try and harm you. It's not for you to go. And so when the enemy cannot get you distracted from the work that you've been called to do, then he will come after you personally and distract you in that kind of way. And guys, it is so easy to be caught up in that type of distraction when all of a sudden your reputation is on the line because you want to fight for your reputation. When all of a sudden they're starting to say, hey, we're hearing a buzz out there, bro. I, I, I don't want to believe it, but if you come and, and, and talk with us, maybe we can hash this out. But if you don't even come, then I have to believe that this is what you're trying to do. You're trying to become king. You're, that's why you're building your walls. And so you could, t- you could see how easy they could switch all this and go, man, the proof is in the pr- pudding there, man. The wall's gotten up. Tell me that you're not trying to take over. And getting us busy in defending ourselves, oneself, can take a lot of time out from our day, from doing the work that we've been called to do. Especially when the enemy, <laughs> it, it continues to be out there setting little fires. Boom, boom. Throwing little, little matches out there and you're trying to put out every fire because it's hard for us to just let it burn out and just let it go because we want to turn off the fires. And there are times that, yes, we have to turn off certain little fires, these people that are backbiting, these people that are saying stuff, these, these rumors that can be out there. We, we, you know, there's times that we turn off fires, but there's times that God just says, let it burn, let it burn. You take care of your character, God will say, and I will take care of your reputation. You just take care of your character. Because when people are saying things about you, and you know that they are not true, then you just continue doing what God has called you to do. Because it's so easy. And again, guys, being in a position of of being a pastor in a church, man, oh man, man, there's so much that can come at you, you know? And you're trying your best, and it's like, dang, I didn't even mean it that way. That's not how I intended it to come out, man. 
<laughs> People say, well, I know what you said because I heard you say it in the pulpit. It's like, are you kidding me, man? I'm the, I'm the, I'm the, the messenger, man. <laughs> Why shoot the messenger in this? It's his word. If you're being convicted, maybe it's the Holy Spirit, dude. Do that. <laughs> None of this was true. And, and Nehemiah knew it. And I would say that a lot of people knew that it wasn't true as well. But man, oh man, when there's that, that, that rumor, that picking, that people are going, I don't, I don't want to believe it about Nehemiah. He's such a great guy. He's never shown himself to do that. Then, then again, let your character speak for itself. God will take care of the reputation. Guys, it's a very difficult thing, I know. There was a time years ago, man, when there was kind of this church split going on here years ago, and one of the brothers, man, that was causing a lot of this stuff, and my pastor at the time was just letting it ride. And I, I remember going into his office going, let me go out there. I'll go talk to these people, man. I'll go take care of business. Because <laughs> I wanted to go and just kind of put them in their place going, dude, you guys are lying, dude. I mean, I, I was hot. And he says, Zeke, it's no big deal. God will take care of it. It's like, oh, but I can take care of it right now. <laughs> God is kind of taking a little longer and people are speaking about us here and they're putting a bad light. And it was almost like the Lord just, again, and my pastor taught me a great lesson that day. You don't have to go fight all those battles, Zeke. Maybe he was reading Nehemiah on his devotional time, <laughs> going, hey, we just keep our character. God will take care of our reputation. And he has, and he will. Just pray for me, man, because there's times I just want to go confront the issue, and there's times that God says, no worries. I got it. I got this, man. I know where it's coming from. It's all lies. In verse 8, he says, then I sent to him, saying, No such things as you are saying are being done, but you invent them in your own heart. Nehemiah called it for what it was, fake news. You thought, you thought that was a, a new thing, right? It's been around for a long, long time, man. People have been fostering fake news for a long, long time, man. Satan is the father of fake news, especially when it comes against his people. These rumors, this character assassination, the, the, all of this stuff, man. And, and, and as Christians, if we, if we know how to handle these false accusations, if we, if we can at least understand... It's not coming from them. It's coming from the enemy. What they're saying is a complete lie fabrication. When we understand these unfounded reports and or gossip, to understand that these kinds of attacks can get us so caught up in, in, in again, putting out fires, in, in, in trying to, to save our reputation, getting us so upset that we lose perspective of the work. Guys, we need to understand that the enemy doesn't fight fair. 
and he will do stuff from without and he will even do it from within. And we just keep on moving forward because when we get distracted, when we get our perspectives wrong and now on people or on somebody and all of a sudden there's some more fighting and it's like, hey, quit putting logs on the fire. Let it burn out and it will die out eventually. And God will take care of your reputation if you just keep your character right on track. He will take care of that. Oh, there might be some battle scars. <laughs> that you're going, man, they were such good brothers and sisters. Now we're they're not talking to me no more. And that's sad. <laughs> it's so funny. I, mean, I just heard, heard one. This happened several years ago, but these people have not gotten over it. And I thought I was doing the right thing. And it's like, they're still on that thing? <laughs> Somebody just let me know that they saw him. It's like, dang, Lord. And I just started praying for them. Like, Lord, help them to move on. They're not even in this state anymore. They don't have to see this mug ever again. Man, Lord, give them peace and rest from that. I didn't mean to hurt them. But again... It could take a lot of our time. It, it, it could influence us to where all of a sudden we're just not as thriving as we used to be because we're afraid that more accusations might come. And so we zip it. I mean, sometimes we should zip it, but you know what I'm saying. We stop doing what God has called us to do. Nehemiah didn't make that mistake, guys. Again, Nehemiah is not perfect, but in this instant, he knew what was going on because the Lord was revealing these things to him. That again, for some reason, the Lord showed him they want to do you harm. In this instant, again, he's going, you know these things aren't true. He simply denied the reports and he prayed. He prayed for strength and he went back to work. And I love the way the New Living Translation puts verse 9 where it says, They were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continued the work with even more, greater determination. And that's where he prays, Lord, God, strengthen my hands. I want to do more, Lord. If, if the attacks are that heavy, then I want to go harder for you. And so he, he, he went for it with even more determination. He knew that his character was spot on. Not that he was thinking too highly of himself, but he was honest about who he was and he knew. And so, again, man, that quote that I, I, I found was just phenomenal as it hit me. If we take care of our character, then we can trust that God will take care of our reputation. As individuals and as a church, he will do that. In verse 10, it says, Afterwards, I came to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Delaiah, the son of Mehet. Bell, who was a secret informer, and he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple, and let us close the doors of the temple. 
for they are coming to kill you. Indeed, at night they will come to kill you. And so I said, should such a man as I flee? And who is there such as I who would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. Then I perceived that God had not sent him at all, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. For, they, for this reason he was hired, that I should be afraid and act, at, and act that way and sin, so that they might have cause for an evil report that they might reproach me. Oh my, oh my God, remember Tobiah and Sambalat according to these their works and the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who would have made me afraid. Man, oh man. The, the, this phrase, who was a secret informer and all the other translations that I was looking at, it says, who, who was shut up in his house or home. He, for, for some reason, this guy, Shemaiah, he, he, he was trying to coerce him to come, not just to his house, but once he gets to his house, hey, let's go into the temple and kind of find refuge there. And so he was shut up in his own house and maybe perhaps he's saying, hey man, I, I am in this, man. I, I, they're coming after me and so I'm kind of hi- hiding out in my house. But maybe both you and I can go into the temple and it's believed that by some that maybe possibly he, he was a so-called priest or maybe even a prophet and he's saying, hey man, I'm on the same page with you. They're trying to come after me as well. And so me and you, we should go and hide in the temple. Now, Nehemiah knew and understood this is not right here. <laughs> because only the priests and the prophets go in there and Nehemiah was neither one of those. And, and there was times, and we've seen in Scripture, where guys would go into the, the, the temple or, or, or where the tabernacle was, and they'd go and try to find refuge because people were coming after them. And every time it seems like they, they got dragged out and killed anyways. But he's going, oh no, to the temple. <laughs> I ain't going there. And, and, and I love the fact that, that, that this man, he, he says to him as he's going, hey, word on the streets is they're coming to kill you. They're coming and they're going to take your life even tonight. So if you're with me right now, let's just go right over to the temple and they won't touch you. And he says this, should such a man as I flee. My gosh, dude. What a man. I love this guy. He, he, he's going, you're kidding me. You want me to run from this issue? God has called me to the work. If I run from this issue to try to save my own life, then a bad report will come upon me, and that's not what I'm here for. I'm here, and I will give my life even for the work that God has called me to do. And so all of a sudden, man, this guy is going, I'm not going to run. 
Should such a man as I run like this? And, and I was reminded of Paul, the apostle, when, when he was going into Jerusalem, they're going, don't go to Jerusalem, Brostein, because if you go, they're going to kill you there. They're going to bind you up. They're going to imprison you. They're going to do all these things. And he says to them, he says, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Should such as man as I, should such a people as us run when, when the going gets hot, <laughs> when the going gets heavy, that old saying, man, if you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen. It's like, no, bear down. Bear down. Stand firm. Be immovable when the enemy comes after you like a flood, even if it's for your life. Again, man, we, we, we worry about our reputation. Here he's going, they're coming to kill you. It's your life. And he's going, I am, I am moving, man. I know what God has called me to do. And he understood that if he went into the temple like that, that he would be violating God's law because he was not a priest to go in there. And, and if this guy was a priest, he understood when this guy started talking like that, he's going, nah, man, you're a hireling. That's what you are. Because you could care less about the law of God if you would invite me to come in and violate the law with you. Not on your life, man. He understood God's law and he was willing to stand for it and even die for it. Should such a man as I go and run? I will not go in. I won't do it. And once again, after understanding that this guy was a hireling from Sambalat and Tobiah and those guys, that they, he was trying to trick him. Once again, he just prays. This is about the fourth or fifth time we see this guy. Just throw up a sh quick little prayer, man. He didn't get on his knees. He didn't get in the posture of, of okay, man, let me, let me start off with this, 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 and that, and then I will get to... He's, he just says, my God, remember to buy on Sambalat. According to these, he, their works. And again, it reminds me of Paul. When he's writing to Timothy, and he, and, and he says, hey, be careful about Alexander, man, the coppersmith, or whatever smith he was. He's done me much harm. May the Lord reward him for his works. <laughs> and so he just prays, Lord, you're the judge. You see these evil schemes that these people have. You know their motives. And he throws in this one uh, prophetess that was in there and the rest of the prophets. You know them, Lord. And they're trying to bring fear in my life. Because we understand that fear can paralyze us. Fear can, can, can arrest us and capture us and make us ineffective. And he's going, that's what they've been trying to do. They've been trying to, to bring this fear upon me so that I won't continue the work that God has called us to do. He says, not in your life. It says in verse 15, So the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elum in 52 days. And it happened when 
all our enemies heard of it and all the nations around us saw these things that they were very disheartened in their eyes for they perceived that this work was done by our God. Also in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah and the letters of Tobiah came to them. For many in Judah were pledged to him because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Arah, and his son Jehohanan was married to the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah. Also, they reported his good deeds before me and reported my words to him. Tobiah sent letters to frighten me. So, so the wall is finished in 52 days. About seven weeks worth of work, man. These guys were booking it, man. The, no wonder Nehemiah's going, I can't stop the work, man. We're, we're like more than halfway done. We're just about done. Man, I see it finished already, man. All we have to do is hang the walls. There is no way I'm leaving this thing, man. Because, man, if I left for an hour, man, the, wall, the, the, the gates are going to be up. It's like, no, nah, I missed it. So he wasn't going to miss not one part of the work, man. He wanted to be in the midst of all of it. And so they finished it. In 52 days on the, the, the 25th day of Ulam or Ulil, however you say it, which would be about September 20th, 445 is the day that that thing was finished. The project had begun a few days, uh, the last few days of July of 444. And it continued through August and into September. In the previous November and December was when Nehemiah had heard about the problem in, in chapter 1, verse 1. And it was about three months later, April or March to April, that he presented his plan to the king in chapter 2, verse 1. As stated earlier, the trip, I, I shared this a while back, the trip to Jerusalem took about three to two or three months, from April or May to June and July. And it was almost as if the, the travel and all of those things took longer or as long as the project itself. But the wall was done. They were secure. Now it's interesting because even though they were secure, Israel never, never ruled its own until 1945. 45, somewhere around there. They were always over another rule. Always. Even in Jesus' days, the Romans were there. So they, they have never really been like, like we saw in 2 Kings, First and 2 Kings, when they were ruling themselves. And they never got to do that again until in the recent past. The enemies 
had to acknowledge that this work had been done by God. And even though they were disheartened, Satan is no quitter. (laughs) He will stay on the battleground when we start taking it easy on the playground, guys. He doesn't stop. He, he, he's like that, that guy that thinks that the war is still going on and, and the war's over, you know? His war's never over. You are always a target. And he will wait 40 years, man. He is a patient enemy. He will wait 40 years for you just to bring you down. He doesn't care. He has all the time in the world. He knows, he knows where he's going. There was a quote that I found that says, let us be as watchful after the victory as before the battle. Because when we think that we're done, (laughs) then he'll come in in another way, guys. And he will attack. Again, when it says to be sober, to be vigilant, it's just not when you see the enemy, it's when you can't see him as well. The reason that Tobiah the Ammonite was able to make so many inroads into Judah, into the people, was because he was related to a couple of Jewish families. His father-in-law, Shechaniah, we saw him in chapter 3, verse 29, and he was a keeper of the east gate, and he made repairs to it. His daughter-in-law was the daughter of Meshulam, who we also saw in chapter 3. And he built two sections of the wall. And it's interesting because they were somehow in cahoots with this guy and they were loyal to him. And again, there was probably a trading thing going on with them. They were pledged to him. And, and it's interesting because these guys, I don't know if, if Nehemiah is not telling them what they're trying to do to them as far as stopping the work. Maybe Nehemiah is just like keeping it to himself of all the attacks that are coming from all different sides. But these guys are going, no, Tobiah's not that bad of a guy. We're in close communications with him. And the guy, the guy is such a snake, man. But he is in the midst of them. And, they, and they're, they're sending reports, reports to Nehemiah going, bro, give him, a, give him a shot. He's going, dude, I've seen the guy. I've seen his true colors. And yet they keep on telling them or telling Tobiah about what Nehemiah is saying. And so at the end here, he says, Tobiah sent letters to frighten me. It was all about intimidation. He was going to try and bring them down. But Nehemiah would stand fast, guys, and that we would stand fast regardless. If people or the enemy using people in your life as trying to bring you down, (laughs) trying to harm you (laughs) in whatever way, trying to kill whatever, trying to ruin your reputation. Let your character stand on its own in Christ. Not with pride and arrogance, but humility. That you would stand before your master because you stand or fall to him and no one else. And he will guard your reputation all the time. Even when it seems like he is not, he will in the end. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for our time together. 
Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Lord, the, the warnings that you give us, even through the book of Nehemiah, Lord, God, we're just so grateful, Lord. We're so grateful, Lord God, that you teach us a lot of these strategies that the enemy will use in our lives, Lord God, and that we would be sober and vigilant always. Lord, the enemy does not get tired. Oh, he might take a break when we're thrashing one another, <laughs> but he will come again. And Lord, I pray that we would be sober-minded, that we would be watchful always, Lord. God, that when we can't see the enemy, that we would be on, on guard even more so. Lord, we pray, God, that we would stand in spite of what goes on, in spite of the circumstances, Lord, in spite of the consequences that might come. That, Lord, as our, our faith is being tested constantly, that we would stand firm and that, God, we would be victorious and that you would deal with those who are trying to bring harm from without and from within, Lord. We pray for, for people to be repentant and, and that people would turn, Lord. Help us to, to pray that for people in our lives that, that we feel attacked from. And so we honor you and we thank you, Father. We praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as we sing this last song.